30 for 30 podcast season three is now available. This season takes you deep into the complicated world of Bikram yoga. Its founder used connections with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, John McEnroe, and other stars to spread his hot, aggressive yoga to the world. But Bikram's guru status enabled increasingly dark behavior. It's a story you have to hear to believe. Subscribe and listen right now to 30 for 30 podcasts in the Listen tab of the ESPN app or on Apple Podcasts. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. My guest today, Arash Markazi, a guy I've known since about 2007, I want to say. And he helped me get a, a little freelance gig doing a piece for Sports Illustrated back in the day. When I covered my first Super Bowl in 2008, he met up with me for dinner the first night I got in and kind of helped show me the ropes, told me which parties to try to go to, where I should get the best coverage, tips for Radio Row. Just a really, really good dude. And it's been so fun to kind of follow along as his career continues to uh, explode and how he manages to find himself in all the best and most fun situations surrounding sport. Somehow, some way, Arash is always there. So you'll love to hear his stories of uh, how he got his gig and how he continues to dominate the uh, the sports plus party scene uh, better than anybody else. So here's my conversation with Arash. That's what she said. So happy to welcome in my next guest. In fact, one of the first people I think I ever met that worked at ESPN and was a big help to me when I was just getting started. Senior writer for ESPN, guy who always gets to do the best gigs, Arash Markazi. So thanks for uh, making some time to hang out, Arash. Well, thanks for having me, sir. Let's start at the very beginning. A young Arash, <laughs> a young wee pup. What were you into when you were a kid? I grew up in L.A., so I was a big uh, Showtime Lakers fan. I think, you know, if you were to say, like, how did I become a sports fan or how did I get to do what I wanted to do? I mean, it was uh, watching uh, the Showtime Lakers, and I would play hoops. But, you know, my dad is like 5'2", and my mom is shorter than five foot, And so I, I kind of figured I probably wouldn't be a professional basketball player, although I did have those dreams. But, um you know, I was like, well, I mean, how can I still, you know, watch watch these games and cover these games and and be able to kind of do all this fun stuff in sports? And so I, I kind of figured in high school that I wasn't going to be playing collegiately, certainly, and not even professionally. So that's when I kind of made the transition into sports journalism. Maybe you got sized out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of got sized out in high school. I mean, I went to a, a pretty good um, high school program here. And so, like, even high school was a struggle. So I said, you know what, I'm going to work for the high school newspaper now and cover sports. Nice. So you got the sports bug because of the Showtime Lakers. And uh, did you know even when you were leaving high school and, and going to college that it's what you wanted to do as a career? Yeah, so I mean, I was looking at journalism schools, and I know like Missouri's really good and Northwestern's really good, but I, I did want to stay closer to home. But I, I didn't want to like stay at home. So you know, my my initial, uh, you know, first year out of uh, high school, I went to the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism at uh, Arizona State. So you know, close enough to home where it was like a one-hour flight but not where I'm exactly home. And then when I found out that Arizona State was like the number one party school, 
Uh, I realized pretty quickly, I don't think I'm going to get any work done here if I stay here. So transferred back to Los Angeles, went to USC, and graduated from there. Wait, so did you voluntarily pull yourself out of Arizona, or was it a sort of, I'm not doing so well here, so maybe I should refocus? (laughs) I think so. You know, I kind of, I I knew I, I wasn't being as productive as I was. You know, when I was in high school, I would string high school games for like the Associated Press and the Los Angeles Times, and I was such a go getter. And then, you know, my freshman year at college, I, uh, you know, I was away from home for the first time and doing all this fun stuff. And um, I did realize that, I mean, if, if I continue down this path for four years, I mean, I'm going to probably get a degree, but I don't know how productive I'll be. <laughs> and I don't know if I'll be able to do all the stuff that I want to do. So I uh, transferred to USC and it was hard because um, none of <laughs> like none of my units really transferred. Oh, I wow. think they looked at the classes that I took and they said, no, you're going to have to retake that again. So wait, so uh, I'm, I'm curious, fun. were your parents, yeah. were your parents strict at home? Did you grow up pretty strict? You know what? They weren't as strict as some of my friends, you know, Persian parents, you know, you'll often hear, uh, uh but you know, you gotta be a doctor you gotta be a lawyer. You gotta be doing something like that. I mean, they were always very supportive of what I wanted to do, which was, uh, I don't want to say it's uncommon, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of parents who want their kids to do what they did. And so mom's an accountant, dad's an architect, and it could have been easy for them to say, you know, we want you to do what what we did. And so, um, you know, there was a time period where, where they were wondering, you know, like, why is this something that you want to do? Do you think you'll be successful at it? But they were always very supportive of me. So your arrival in college was less about rebelling against your parents and more about just feeling like this this stage in your life was about uh social life uh briefly before re- recalibrating <laughs> yeah well because it was really the first time i i'd been away from home obviously and so i i drank uh you know I, I i had had sips of alcohol before but you know when you're on a college campus for the first time and going to college parties it's your first time having goldschlager and right. jager and all that and i'm like whoa what is going on here so it was fun but i did realize like listen right. productivity well, level is yeah. pretty low right now. it's a it's a testament to your work ethic that you self realized and and pulled yourself into a better situation i remember when we used to have spring training trips for track at college uh we'd go to like long beach irvine newport beach because they were already able to train outdoors while out at cornell we were still indoors for everything and they would live on the beach and we're like how do you go to class and they're like oh we don't and i was like well yeah you know my friend's going to florida they had a pool at their dorm and i'm like i don't know how you guys did it i mean cornell was a beautiful place but i wasn't tempted to party all the time because there weren't yeah. pool parties and beach houses and surfing and um so you get to you get to um uh your fresh start your and and how did you treat it differently when you when you transferred well it was different you know because i was back in a comfortable environment where i i, I did live at home for a little while um once i transferred back and um and just covering sports was different you know my first semester there was Pete Carroll's first year there and so you know, having the ability to cover a good college football program, their, the hoops team went to the Elite Eight my first year there. And so, you know, it was my, 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 my first time, at least, um, I guess you could say, I mean, it wasn't professional, but I was getting paid something. And so to cover these really good programs, 
you know, um, and getting to talk to people around the country and saying, okay, like I cover USC. And so that, that, that was a cool thing. And so I think, whereas with Arizona state, they have a good sports program, but you're really thinking like, who cares if we win or lose, we're going to go out drinking afterwards. At least that's, that's what I was thinking. So coming back home, I, I was comfortable. I knew people there. And again, it was, the timing was right. I mean, it was Pete Carroll's first year there. Not that they were, that greatest first year there, but subsequently, obviously, they had all this success. Yeah. So when you were at um, USC, you were super prolific. You were working at the Daily Trojan. You were also writing for a bunch of magazines and newspapers outside of school while you were still in school. How did you get all those gigs? You know, my my first break came with Slam. And Slam Magazine, I was a big Hoops fan, and so I just reached out to them, and I said, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, what you guys are doing. I mean, if there's anything I can help you, if there is a many ways that I can help from Los Angeles, let me know. Not knowing, and I would find this out years later, that, I mean, they are a great publication, but they're, they're you know, a staff of, like, maybe, like, six people. So <laughs> to have someone who wanted to help them out in Los Angeles, they immediately credentialed me to, you know, cover the Clippers, cover the Lakers, and do all this really fun stuff. And so I'm in college, I'm at USC, and I'm writing stories for Slam Magazine. So I'm going to the newsstand, and I'm picking up a copy. I'm like, that, that's me. And so that was such a cool thing for me. And and it really came from, like, me just saying, hey, I love what you guys are doing. If there's any way I can help you, please let me know. Why do you think you were so uh, – did you have a mentor or someone in your life that was pushing you along? Because as much as I loved uh, – I was obsessed with Jordan in college, right? I wrote, like, a thesis paper on him. I wasn't reaching out thinking somebody else would want to hear my thoughts on him, right? I was doing it for assignments. Yeah. Uh, what made you think that it was already – because I know others who obviously did this in college – that never occurred to me. I, I, maybe I just wasn't surrounded by by people who said, you know, go out into the world. You don't have to wait. Yeah, you know what? My parents kind of always said, you know, you should reach out to, to publications that you like or people that you like. You know, the worst thing that could happen is they uh, turn you down. But, you know, I, I would do that in high school, too, where I I would send out notes and say, hey, I, I like that story that you did. And, you know, like things like that that, again – Normally, you wouldn't do if you're in high school or college, but I, I really felt a um, calling to do this, and I, and I wanted to do this, and so I wanted to grow, and I wanted to improve, and so, you know, now I've gone back to teach at USC, and I always tell my students, you're at the time in your life where you're, you can do this. Like, people want to help you out, so you'll be amazed at the number of people who, if you reach out to them, or if you call them, or if you send them a note, you'll be amazed at the number of people who want to at least um, help you or give you a chance. Yeah. So when you were at USC, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I remember from when we first met years and years ago, which was probably like 2006, maybe 2007, that you won some sort of award or a grant or a scholarship when you were in college. Yeah, so I won a couple, but the one that really meant a lot to me was the Jim Murray Memorial Scholarship. And Jim Murray was a columnist at the Los Angeles Times that I read all the time. I mean, my absolute favorite, every time I would get the Los Angeles Times, I would meet, I, I would want to read Jim's columns. And I never got a chance to meet him. He passed away when I was in high school. Uh, but the cool thing about the scholarship is that his wife, Linda, has become such a great person in my life. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll call her at times if I need some help or advice. And so, um, and so, you know, when I won that scholarship, it wasn't that 
that that was the only thing. Like you got to go to his house and you got to meet Linda and you got to just really be a part of that small knit community. And so um, that was a cool moment for me. I mean, and to be honest, like I, I, I always tell like my kids now, I'm like, you know, that was a moment that I knew that this is what I wanted to do. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so what was your first gig out, out of college? Sports Illustrated on campus. So Sports Illustrated on campus was a college publication that they kind of inserted into college newspapers. Um, so my uh, junior year going into senior year, I uh, was an intern at um, Sports Illustrated for Kids. Now, I wanted to work at the big magazine, but for kids was awesome because that was obviously the publication that I read uh, growing up. And so during that summer of 03, they were beginning the concept of on campus. And I said, listen, obviously I'm graduating. If there's a job here, I would love to have it, or I would love to be considered for it. And so when I graduated in 04, I got hired, moved out to New York, which was a big dream of mine to, to go out there. And so um, that, that was really cool. So to, to be able to work at Sports Illustrated and that be like my first job out of college was a dream. Yeah. And so what was that gig like? You were covering uh, one school or several schools? Several schools. Yeah, it was just like college sports in general, like the life of a college uh, student, life of a college athlete. And so we'd, you know, um, like every week it would be something different, whether it be like college hoops or college, uh, you know, there, there, there was one fun story where, uh, we got in a car and we traveled the country during March Madness. So I think we started out in Tennessee and ended up in Texas or something. It was nuts. But it was fun because, you know, the, the staff that they hired were, were all pretty young, too. And so we were all doing this for the first time, living in New York for the first time, which is amazing. And then trying to, um, you know, figure out our way, you know, because we wanted to do more than what, what we were doing at the time. But it was just like wow, we're here, we're in New York, which mm -hmm. was, um, again, I, I love Los Angeles, but I was so grateful that I got to, you know, I was only there for, I want to say two years, because I'm, I'm, I, I love New York, but I don't want to live there. Yeah. But I'm glad that I <laughs> did it at some time. Yeah. So was it while you were working there that you first had your first cancer um, treatments and your first scare with cancer? No, that was uh, 2001. So 2001, um, I want to say it was a sophomore or... I think it was a sophomore. It was like 2001 is when I first uh, got it. So I was still at USC, and it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it was kind of interesting because I had just done a story about an Arizona State player who had that disease, and I didn't know what it was. And so I, when I got diagnosed with that, like in a weird way, I knew exactly what it was. Hmm. Um, got treated for it. Um which was, you know, chemo and um, radiation and, and all that stuff. And so I kind of went through that during school in 01. And then, uh, yeah, it came back in 2005. So 2005, I was living in New York, working at uh, – uh, at that time, I was working at uh, SI's website. So the on-campus didn't really work out. So they moved us to the website. So I was doing cool stuff at that point in time, really. I was doing, like, web features and stuff like that. And um, and I got the same symptoms. And so I, I kind of knew what was happening. I mean, I, I didn't know, no, but I, I kind of had a feeling for what was happening. And so got diagnosed in 05. Um, 
decided to move back to Los Angeles. I was just more comfortable at home. But um, yeah, it's how, nuts. how bad? I mean, how scary was it? Was it something that they felt pretty comfortable diagnosing and saying this treatment is, is going to work and you're going to be fine? Or were there moments where it was really touch and go? No, you, you you really never know. You know, it's not uh, especially when it comes back again. You're not you're never quite sure, and so it was touch and go. You know, and so you you're you're hoping that the treatment. You know, because the second time around was a stem cell transplant. It was my stem cells, so it's not as invasive as if it was someone else. But you know, you're in the hospital for thirty days or whatever yeah. it was, and wow. you're not able to like leave and. Um, it was it was tough, and it was a, a situation where I was trying to think, like, okay, what do I want to do with my life? And I really came to the conclusion, you know, like, I've really enjoyed what I've done. It's not like, you know, you, you kind of go through these moments where you're in the hospital alone, like, thinking, like, should I be doing something else? And I'm like, no, like, I love what I'm doing. I'm covering sports, and so, you know, hopefully I make it out of this, and I'm okay. And um, But it is a situation where there's nothing – promised and and they hope that the treatment works but you're never quite sure so even now there's a question of if it'll return oh sure i mean i i, I think listen i mean en- enough time has passed where you know it, it it should be gone but you never know what 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 will happen next or what you know um yeah. i get i get checkups all the time you know get you know you want to make sure that you're okay but yeah i mean it's amazing that to, to know that it's been 13 years so it's it's one of those things that I always think back to and I always like make it a point to if, you know, if I ever uh, hear of someone who's young going through that. Because, you know, the hardest part was, you know, being so 21 and then 25 going through that. That's hard, you know. And so um, whenever I get a chance, I do go back to the hospital and I talk to people in their 20s or early 30s going through that just because it's a it's a tough thing. Yeah. And it's even more remarkable, I guess, that you were doing all of that work uh, in college while dealing with this as well. Um, super overachiever, Rosh. Get it together, man. Uh, so so what came after the uh, the uh, SI on campus? So SI on campus went under or just didn't work out. They moved me to the website. So um, SI.com really gave me the opportunity to do a lot of cool stuff that, you know, um, so grateful for because I think at, at that time no one who was like a senior writer for the magazine wanted to contribute to the website they said you know I'm a magazine writer so that really gave me an opportunity to be like I'm working for Sports Illustrator not for the magazine per se but for the website and so that gave me a they gave me a chance to do a lot of cool stuff moved back out to Los Angeles which was also really good in the sense that I was able to kind of do a lot of fun stuff out here because a lot of our uh, journalists and people were in New York or they were in San Francisco. So for a while I was the only one out here. So I'd be covering, you know, the Lakers, the Dodgers, Clippers, uh, being able to travel some. And um, so I did that up until 2009 and then ESPN Los Angeles called. Mm, Okay. So when I met you, you were working at SI and you were doing a lot of, of the web stuff. Would you say that that was sort of a, a good learning experience, sort of a trial by fire? You get to get credentialed for the first, you know, not the first time you'd been doing it, but regularly at some of the same teams and getting a feel for what it's like to kind of uh, work a city? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and getting that opportunity to be able to cover really big events, you know, so I, I'd cover 
uh, you know, what was it? You know, Stanley Cup or the NBA Finals. I think I covered like a couple of Super Bowls uh, for them as well. And these are like surreal experiences that I never thought I would get, get to do. And so you get to learn how to carry yourself. You know, you're talking to Peter King and the guys who've done it forever. And so um, that was the other cool thing is to walk into a press box at a big event and go up to Tom, Tom Berducci or whoever and say, hey, listen, we're technically calling, not really, <laughs> but like if there's any way you could help me out or any advice. And again, they were so nice with that. And um, I'll never forget Frank DeFord. I met him one time in the SI building and he was fact checking a story. I mean, his own story. He was going over it. And I was like, I sat down next to him and I said, listen, if you, if you have a few minutes, I'd love to love to chat with you. Again, you know, these are guys that I grew up respecting so much. And so if I ever had a chance to, and listen, if they said, no, I, I got things to do, that's totally fine too. But I always made it a point to like, if I saw someone that I really respected and I really wanted to talk to, I said, hey, I mean, if there's a way I could sit down with you, I, I would like that. And again, nine times out of 10, guys have been really great with that. Yeah, for sure. So you are still with SI when the Andrew Bynum story hits? Yeah, that was uh, the Playboy Mansion, and uh, yeah, you know he was hurt. He was hurt at the time. I forgot what it was. One of those golf uh, golf tournament parties that Playboy would have, and those were always kind of crazy. And so, um, so I'm at the I'm at the mansion walking around, and I see like Andrew Bynum in this like smoker's jacket or whatever you want to call it. With a playmate like on his shoulders, the Lakers are playing that night, and um, and I'm like, okay, this is not a good look. But there was a photographer with me, and I said, hey, take a picture of that. I might I might have to use that for something, and so he did, and I wrote it. And so you had the photographer send you the shot. Yeah, and the Lakers were not happy. They're like, first of all, what are you doing at the Playboy match? I said, don't worry about it. And they're like, why are you writing about a player? I said, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't have done it if he was just walking around. But he's got this like playmate on his shoulder, and he's supposed to be hurt. Like he didn't look hurt that night. Yeah. So I'm. What's interesting to me about that is that was back in like oh eight or oh nine, oh nine, I think. Yeah. And for them to react that way, why are you covering this? This isn't. This isn't him and sports. And now that's all we do, right? Like that was sort of that yeah. turning point. Like that was this, that was the point where you did not yet have this like 24 hour, no matter where you are and what you're doing, we consider it part of the story, um, for athletes. Um, so it's, it's funny to imagine now if that were the case, no one would be like, why are you po- posting this? They'd be like, oh, caught. <laughs> right. Like, and to be honest, I mean, it, it really had more to do with the fact that he was supposed to be hurt and oh, they were course, playing that night. It course, was sort of yeah. like the whole like juxtaposition of like, well, um, how is your leg doing? It seems like it's holding up okay. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, ESPN LA calls in 2009. And was it, a, was it tough to make the, the jump or was that somewhere you'd always thought about going to ESPN? It was tough, you know, because I never had a lot of aspirations for like TV and things like that. Now, I mean, listen, if it happened, it would be fantastic. But I was always, I was happy where I was. But Eric Neal called, and Eric Neal is another guy that I've respected a lot um, over the years. And so when they were telling me about what they were starting, and he gave me a tour of the office, and, I, you know, I, I I kept thinking, like, is this something that I want to do? And, and what was intriguing is that it was just beginning. Like, I was going to be a part of something from the very start. Like, he was putting a staff together. He was putting the office together. And so... 
I kept thinking about it, and I said, listen, like, if it doesn't work out, hopefully, like, you know, I can go back. I don't know if I can or not, but it, it, it was such a cool opportunity to be a part of something new. And I knew Ramona, and I knew Dave, and I knew a, a, a lot of people joining. And so I said, well, this, this will be fun. Because the part of it with me uh, being in Los Angeles, the office SI was in New York, so I didn't have a place to go. And so for the first time in a while, I was actually going to have a home that I could go to. I could talk to Eric. I could talk to Ramon. I could talk to Dave. I could talk to all these people. So it seemed like a cool concept, and I said, why not? So that was 2009, end of 2009. Yeah. So exactly. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about one of your first pieces in in for ESPN, which was just like less than a year later when you were writing about LeBron in Vegas. And then it, <laughs> I, I don't know if, if, if the, the uh, statute well, of limitations is off on that. Like Cause I remember, well, I remember place, that happening, well, the, and, uh, you know, always wondering <laughs> what was that? Well, here's here's like the two funny things I guess about that. A like La- Las Vegas has become like my second home. Like they are, they are setting me out there for like anything, Las Vegas related now. So it's like, A, you know, then that was my second home. B, like fast forward a few years later when like LeBron James wins the championship with the Cavs and I find myself at a club with LeBron (laughs) wondering, should I be here? And then I'm like, (laughs) just like it was back then, I think this is newsworthy. So uh, the the, the big difference was years later, I said, I'm going to take out my camera phone. And listen, they are, people always give me crap for this, but I said, they're in a perched, position where a DJ is, there's photographers there, this is not like in a private situation, like there is a DJ saying, hey, look at the cast, and there's girls with champagne, and like it's it's a thing, and so so the difference was, you know, my first uh, time, I wrote about it, but the second time, I just let the pictures and the video tell the story of that night, but um Listen, they were both kind of interesting in the sense that I, I think people sometimes get confused about these Las Vegas parties where these athletes get paid six figures to go out there to host a party, and uh, these places aren't just paying them six figures because they um, want them there. They're, they're paying them six figures because they want the attention, and so they have a, a photographer there shooting pictures. They advertise it. They sell tickets for it. They're doing it so they can get a profit. So it wasn't a secretive thing. That was the thing that I always try to convey. It's like it's not like I crashed the guy's party at his house. I mean, he was. it was a publicly promoted three-day party with LeBron James. So um, – I covered it, and then and so that that was a lot of the stuff I was doing at that time. If you remember, it was like behind the velvet rope or whatever, right. and so that that ceased with that story, which was fine. But I mean, again, you know, to your point, it's something that we still cover to this day. Right? Did it did it bother you at the time? About it, right? For those who don't remember, uh, it, there was a story. Yeah. It came out. It was out very briefly. It got pulled, and there was a conversation about, oh, that was a draft. It wasn't supposed to hit, but then it never went out anywhere. And that, first of all, that's always frustrating. If you're a writer and you put the work in and it never runs, that's frustrating no matter what the topic is. But it was sort of well, uh, controversial. If you search it, Sarah, you can still read it. Like, oh, it's well, like, uh, it, you know. There you go. <laughs> um, you know, well, so it is yeah. out. Uh, but but um, I don't know if that if that bothered you in general because it became controversial and maybe you hadn't expected or thought it should be. And then also, did it change the way you did anything going forward? Because like you said, we do cover that stuff. I, you know, the only... Uh, Part of me being upset was I felt that I was a- alone. Like I, I didn't, I didn't feel I did anything wrong, and I felt um, 
that I was being um, hung out to dry a little bit, but I got where people were. I, I got that, that, you know, um, this was an uncomfortable position for them. And listen, it, it did change what I did. Like I ceased covering behind the velvet rope stuff after that. And I was fine with that. I mean, listen, that, that was a cool beat to have. And I kind of momentarily re- re- returned to it, but I, um, so yeah, I mean, listen, it totally changed what I did. Cause I, I ceased covering that. I went to just covering, you know, the, I did the Clippers beat, you know, they, they got Chris Paul to the Clippers. And so it went from me covering a little bit of everything to me being, on the Clippers beat, which was fun. Listen, I mean, that was a fun team to cover for a while. And so um, it was it was tough, but it was a learning experience. And so, um, but yeah, I, 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 it was one of those things that now that I look back on it, now that I'm kind of in Vegas so much, and again, I, I go back to like the Cavs having that party there and me being me being in a position to do a TV hit saying, yeah, I was with the Cavs last night at the right. party in Las Vegas. Like, wow, we really come full circle after that. Yeah, so obviously you do a ton of NBA. You do a lot of WWE. You end up getting flown out to China to do LeVar Ball. But you also still do a lot of the party stuff. How did you first get – was that just by virtue of be, you being in L.A.? Um, that you that you kind of established yourself as somebody because when you were with SI, you were on the private plane with the swimsuit models going to the location, yeah. doing stories on them. Um, you know, you always seem to be around the parties. Was that just your natural habitat or how did you get that as a no. gig? <laughs> a little bit. You know, I think, you know, being in Los Angeles. So whenever they would have like a movie premiere or whenever they would have um the NBA All-Star Weekend in Las Vegas or when they had one in Los Angeles. It was like, you know, these people who were putting on the parties knew who I was, and so they would be like, hey, do you want to come to the event? And I would basically say, yeah, can I cover it? And so, you know, and me covering it, again, wasn't to expose anyone. It's to be like, hey, like, Michael Jordan's having this party at this club, and here's who showed up, and here's what they – here's what they had to drink, here's who performed or whatever. And now it's like a thing, like, not, listen, I didn't create it at all. But what I'm saying is people are curious, you know, Michael Jordan's having his birthday party in Hollywood at, during the um, all-star weekend, people want to know about it, you know? And so um, you find a way to kind of cover it as the best you can and um, find a way to get their trust in terms of like, listen, I'm not here to kind of try to expose anything, um, you know, in terms of, uh, I'm, I'm here to say, hey, well, Michael Jordan, for example, I'm just going back to this hot example, but just is, is having a party and uh, people are curious about that. So I, I forget if it was his 50th birthday or what party, but, you know, he had a party in Los Angeles during the All-Star weekend and it was great. And so, you know, it wasn't a long story, but it was a short story about, you know, Chris Paul was there and so-and-so was there and I forgot who performed. But, you know, again, I think people are curious about that. Yeah, absolutely. People are, people want in on that. They want to sort of have that experience. Um, so when you got to ESPN and you were doing mostly LA stuff, how did that eventually transition to your gig now where you certainly do Clippers or Lakers or lo- stories like that, but you sort of just get sent around to whatever's cool and fun? Is that because you're pitching all of those or they're getting assigned to you? You know, it's getting assigned. So I'm with this new department. It's because it has a little bit of everything. So we have boxing and UFC, and um, and I and I pitch some stuff as well. But you know, shortstop, as you know, is like a big thing for the company in terms of it's our version of Twitter. So when we you go to a game or you go to a press conference, you send out a short clip or a short note, and so 
because I'm, I really love Twitter, I really embrace shortstop. And so, you know, whenever they send me to a game, they know that they're going to get a ton of uh, clips and a ton of things from that particular game or event or whatnot. So, it, you know, I, I uh, was really lucky that that was something that was happening within the company because, they, you know, they would send me to... Um, yeah. A good fit for you because it is sort of just an inside look straight from something like uh, here I am. I'm at this awesome thing that you can't get into and I'm going to show you all the, all the cool (laughs) stuff you're missing out on. Uh, I was supposed to use shortstop from the Gronk boat. Um, and for whatever reason, the, uh, the connection was so poor on the boat in the middle of the Bahamas that the shortstop wouldn't work. So I ended up sending most things out via like Twitter, which as you know, is not, you know, proprietary to ESPN. So it's not as ideal as being somewhere where you can post stuff directly to our site and to our space. Um, and, and what's interesting is that, you are sort of part of new media then. You're learning these new tricks like shortstop or when you go to cover LeVar Ball and you could do sports center hits using an iPhone, yeah. right? So um, is that something that you are interested in, sort of the transition in the ways media is changing? Or is it sort of like, I got to keep up with this because this is where the bread is buttered? I do like it. I think it's fascinating in terms of like, for all, you know, give you like the China example. Like I'm in China covering the League of Legends World Championship, uh, which I do love that. Let me, but it's like a it's like crazy assignment, right? Going to Beijing to cover the League of Legends World Championship. The UCLA situation happens with like Lavar Ball and his sons, and, um, and that's in Shanghai. And because I have the equipment with me, you know, which is essentially a tripod, a TVU that's on the phone you know, and a microphone and all that stuff, like in my backpack, I'm able to do live sports that are hits from Shanghai. And I think that's fascinating. And yeah. so, you know, it's, but it's, it's something that it's fun again, cause I, I, I teach at USC. So I'm able to kind of take those experiences and take it to my class and say, listen, this is what's happening right now. Like you don't necessarily need a, you know, a production crew to do a TV hit. And so, um, it's not something that I, you know, listen, I didn't learn about it in school, obviously, and it's not, it's something that you kind of have to learn as you go, but I, I'm fascinated by it. whether it's shortstop, what we're doing in terms of TV hits like that, like, I think that's cool. Yeah. Do you remember your very first TV hit? Oh, man, I'm trying to think. It probably wasn't very good. I'm trying to think. Oh, man. Or maybe your first sports center, because my first TV hit was, uh, the uh, the show that soon was soon to be canceled. Um, I think they threw me a bone. They were like, "Let's see if she's any good on TV. We'll put her on the, the show that's about to be canceled anyway." Um, but my first sports center was with uh, Steve Levy uh, during one of the Blackhawks nice. Cup runs, and and that was I rem- I remember it very distinctly because I remember being like, "Whoa, I'm on Sports Center." Um, so I wonder no, if you see, remember your first. I know one. I did. I I did I did call-ins before they actually. Um before I, I'm trying to remember like the first time they put me on camera, and it must have been at the LAPC office, but um, they they would do these call-ins, and until just recently, they were using my picture that I took at USC just because I didn't have any newer <laughs> picture, so it was like a terror. I mean, it was just a really bad because it doesn't look like like me right now, and so I do like these like live uh, hits over the phone, and they would pop up that picture, and I'm like, dude, Raj, when, 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 when was that picture taken? <laughs> and the truth is, it was taken while I was at USC, and so thankfully they reshot new pictures, but um. That was the coolest thing. I mean, you know, when you're when you're on Sports Center, like see your name there for the first time, and I still get nervous because I'm like, damn, Sports Center, like that's so cool, you know. So I always call home like, hey, I'm gonna be on, you know, whatever at three o'clock or six o'clock yeah. or something, and yeah, it's, it's awesome. 
So you're doing the sort of new media stuff, and part of that involves them putting you in positions where they're like, well, Arash will just see stuff if it happens, right? And so one of those moments is you're on the sidelines um, when a guy yells at Baker Mayfield to humble himself. (laughs) And uh, because of that, there's other opportunities that you get where they're like, all right, you know, just be there and see what happens. Is there an event that you went to and you got nothing? You're like, I, there's nothing oh, good yeah. happened. I don't know what I'm going to turn in slash send via shortstop because I got nothing. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I mean, I mean, listen, that probably happens more times than not, but I've been <laughs> lucky so often in these big moments, like um, probably more often than not, like I'm, I'm at a game and I get something, but it's nothing like that's amazing. But like the China example was the best because like nothing of any importance or at least like earth shattering is supposed to happen while I'm, well, while I'm in China. And then that whole shoplifting incident happened, and I get a call from my editor saying, what is it about you? Like, why <laughs> are you always in these, you know, like that, that the Cavs parting like, in Las Vegas. I was there to do a hockey story. Like, they were about to get the hockey team, like, that week. So I'm in Las Vegas, kind of bummed that I'm not at Game 7. Like, it would have been cool to be at Game 7. And... um you know, I so I, I watch the end of the game, and then I get a call from my friend, and he's like, dude, the Cavs are coming through tonight. I'm like, <laughs> we, 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 like what are you talking? He's like, no, they're coming through tonight. Like, you got to come here. So, um, you know, just being in Las Vegas for that or being in China for the shoplifting thing or being um, on the sideline for, like, that moment. So, you know, those moments happen enough, and they think that they always happen, and they certainly don't. Um but then again, I always look for like what's not being covered. So like the halftime show of this year's Super Bowl, the uh, this healthy kid, right? I'm like, okay, well, like he's a trending topic. Let me go try to find this kid. So I went in and I found him and took a picture of him with his phone. And so again, that's not a huge story, but it's like, how can I make myself useful right. in this spot? It's sort of know? being curious and being aware of what people are interested in talking about, and then going. Yeah. And- going and making a story out of it. Hey, everybody, don't forget to go to ESPN and Apple Podcasts and subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain so you always have the latest episode. Don't forget to rate and review it as well and tell all your friends how awesome it is. I, I think it's fascinating. I I talked to Jamel, or not Jamel, um, Ramona about this when she was on the pod, like how she lo- gets people to trust her and to get close to her so that Ronda Rousey's willing to have her come hang out in a cabin mm. in the woods. And um, when you're around so many athletes, so many supermodels, so many famous people, what do you think it is about you specifically that kind of has people let down their guard? I mean, we always joke about how you, whenever I see you, how you, you know, filmed the Kate Upton Dougie video that helped make her famous. <laughs> and you were always hanging out with beautiful women. Your Instagram is always you at cool parties. You got into the Justin Timberlake show at Paisley Park. You know, you're always in the right spot. How are you able to kind of disarm people so that, first of all, they let you into these and then that they want to be around you and hang out with you? Well, I, I, I think that they know, you know, I, I hate to say this about myself, but yeah, that I'm generally a good guy. Like, I'm not trying to hurt them. And so when you're ca- kind of going after, uh, trying to talk to a player about a tough topic, you know, I think that they know that I'm going to um, handle it with care, that I'm not going to try to hurt someone, that I'm not going to try to put them in a tough predicament. I'm g- going to be fair, but I'm not going to... You know, I'm not going to go like out of my way to try to grab a headline. You know, I mean, if if they say a quote and within that quote maybe something controversial, like I'm not going to parse the quote. I'll put the whole quote. And so, you know, you do that enough times, and people get to know you um, that that they begin to trust you. And so, um, um, 
but it's it, yeah, I it's it's hard to put it into words. But I, I think that again, people generally know I'm going to be fair, and, and you know, and my goal in doing a story or doing something with them is not to try to put them in a tough spot or in a compromising position or, or to hurt them. And so I think when you know that about someone and you could trust them. It makes it easier, but it does take time. Right. Well, and it's a tough balance because you said fair, which I think is important because you're not being a sycophant. You're not placating them by removing things that make them look bad. So they know you're not out to make them look bad, but you also have to still earn their trust and respect, even in the moments where you fairly report the things that they've said or done. And then that's a tough balance. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, listen, like if, if if I'm doing a story on someone that I consider a friend or that I like and, and, and they do something that that's wrong. Like I'm going to report it. And so then they, they, they have to know that they have to have enough respect for me to know that I'm not just going to ignore that too. Right, That's your job. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. I have a couple quick ones for you. What's the favorite event you've ever covered? Favorite event I ever had. You know, I go back to the Fiesta Bowl, Boise State in Oklahoma. I was with Boise State that entire week, and I was on the sideline when the coach is calling, like, he's like, the uh, the Statue of Liberty. And I'm like, they're not going to do a Statue of Liberty play right here. So that was one, I think maybe one of the few times in my career I was, like, behind the coach when he's making a call like that. So I'll always remember that. Yeah, very inside. What about one of the worst yeah. events, for whatever reason? Here's a... Yeah. And maybe because it's like continuing on this season. That game seven loss for the Dodgers at the mm. uh, uh, World Series was still tough. And it was weird because it, it uh, ended up being kind of a fun moment for me. I, I see Kate Upton for the first time in a long time. And she introduces me to Justin Verlander. And at the beginning, he doesn't, you know, he's like, who the hell is he? And he's like, no, <laughs> he filmed me doing the Dougie, which I got to imagine may have been like one of the first times he sees his future wife. Yeah. So that was that's, a, cool, that's a cool moment. It yeah, it's your like, pinned tweet if anyone wants to go see it. I exactly. love that. Where Verlander's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Oh, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. But it was tough there. I mean, you got to see your Cubs win. And so, you know, in 1988, I was too young to like, yeah. really appreciate what was happening. So I really, you know, game seven, they had had this amazing season. And um, not only do they not win, it's kind of continued on to a really crappy season yeah. this year. Well, good news is they're like right around the same place as the Marlins. So no big deal. <laughs> exactly, right. Um, uh, what's the, one of the best interviews you ever did? Best interviews I ever did. I'm going to go to Lamar Odom. Generally speaking, was one of the always most candid guys that I've ever talked to. And so I talked to him um, right after he lost one of his one of his really close friends. And so um, just talking about life with him and and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I mean, he he was someone that I, you know, was in a tough spot recently and I'm so glad that he's back to himself, but he was always fantastic to to me. Yeah. Yeah. What about one of the worst interviews? Worst interviews. Draymond Green. And I really hate (laughs) saying it because I genuinely like, he's the kind of player that I would like, but I've never dealt with a more disrespectful. Maybe I got him on a bad day. That's tough. Dismissive. Yeah. Dismissive off putting. Um, yeah, and here's the thing about me. Normally, because of the company that I work for, and I'm not even going to say because it's because of me, normally it's like, oh, it's so-and-so from Sports Illustrated, so-and-so with ESPN. They're usually good, um, but this was not a good one. And so, listen, uh, we have not talked since, and um, perhaps if we talk again, he'll be fantastic. But, yeah, 
probably the worst interview, worst experience with a player of my life. And I hate to say it because as a player, I really do like him. Yeah. That, I He's a weird cat because I something about him makes me like him even as there's plenty of evidence to the contrary, right? Like, sure, yeah. I, you know, there's certain guys that just give you a vibe and it could be the opposite too. We're like, I have no reason not to like that person, but I just don't. Like, it's the opposite with Draymond. I'm like, he's not giving me a lot of reasons to root for him. And yet I still do. It was one of those weird things where like when I'm leaving, it's not like I was upset. I was kind of bummed. I was like, man, like I really wanted to like yeah, him, but oh yeah, well, yeah. but yeah. Um, what what's uh one of the best trips? So maybe not a game to cover, but like something where you were like, I can't believe I'm doing this for work. So you know, the, the, I think that the China trip was just surreal because I never thought I'd be going out there for League of Legends, no less, and for it to turn into the trip it was in terms of being there for the shoplifting story. Um, it was surreal. Like to you know, th- there's this really big story happening, and I'm the only one here to cover it and um so you know so like you know first thing first like you're in china which is this amazing place i've never gone there i've always wanted to go there and then you're there for work and you're doing like they want you on the three o'clock sports center and like in the six o'clock sports center and all these sports centers like it was a surreal experience and i knew it at the time i said i'll never have this again in terms of like going to china and uh just Covering the story, because, again, normally if you're covering a big story, there's a ton of people there. But it's in Shanghai, so, like, there wasn't a lot of people there. Yeah. What about one of the worst trips? Worst trips? Man. I have to think about this one, you know, because, like, usually the trips are not uh, that bad. Um... I really can't think of a bad, you know, I've covered bad games, but not, you know, listen, like when I was on the beat and when you're on the beat, you don't want to complain, but you know, a, a Tuesday night Clippers Milwaukee game mm-hmm. where it's like below zero in Milwaukee and you're like, God bless the Clippers and God bless the, but nobody cares about this game. Like, <laughs> like, like it doesn't matter. And I'm freezing my tail off. And, but then like, even in those moments, you have to realize like, this is cool. Like I get like, this is what I get to do for work. But yeah, I mean, it's it's cold. Your your car can't start. I'm from Los <laughs> Angeles. I'm not normally in the cold. So those games uh, were those were tough. Yeah. I was with my buddy Nick Friedel last night complaining to him about my 12 flights this month and how I was just so sick of traveling and delays. And, and then I was like, you know what? I really can't complain to you because you're, you're a beat guy. So you do exactly. that all the He's time. The all the time. So do you have like the worst horror travel story from work? Oh, well, you know, listen, I mean, I've been on flights that have been d- d- delayed or just don't leave and you have to stay stay there for a night. But I've never had um, – and here's why I'm not gold or whatever with a certain carrier. I don't like connections. Like, So, like, you know, if there's a, if there's a connection, like, I'll usually try to get on, like, the nonstop flight. And so, um, you know, because of that, I'm not with the same – carrier all the time but i've had so many bad experiences of like you're 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 making a connection but you're the that city you're connecting in so something happened to the plane or there's a delay and i'm like no listen once i get on that flight hopefully if everything goes well when i get off like i'm where i want to be so <laughs> right. I, I haven't had too many bad things all right you have to do the one thing that everybody does when they come and nobody expects didn't expect a kind of spanish inquisition Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. That's right. 
the nine questions that I ask everybody, you are the first to participate in the brand new Spanish Inquisition, which I have added one oh, wow. new question to. So you'll be the first to answer it. But this begins with the question I always do, which is, what is the natural talent you wish you were gifted with? Playing the piano. You know, they have a piano at like, like every bar and grill. I'd love to just go, <laughs> hey, let me go play the piano. And I never did. Yeah. Oh, I would love to play the piano. It's not piano too late. Day. It's not too late. I mean, you're already I know, a... I know. Award-winning reporter who's also a teacher and <laughs> living the dream. Uh, what's your Desert Island album? You can only have one. Ooh, man. Uh, songs in the Key of Life. I love Stevie mm. Wonder. Any kind of Stevie Wonder I'll be happy with. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, if you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Anyone for a day? Oh, man. Trying to think, who would it? Who would it be? Who would it be? Um, bu- 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 probably Michael Jordan. You know, <laughs> just to kind of see what that life is like. But like, you couldn't really do anything, you know, because like he's Michael Jordan. You can't really live. But you know, for one day, that would be fun. I agree. Uh, number four. What's right? the most scared you've ever been? Scared I've ever been. Um, bu- 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 well, I mean, this is a little depressing. Listen, yeah, when you when you when you get told that you have cancer, that is depressing. So yeah, I wish scary. it was a little bit more lighthearted. But yeah, that those were like um, those two moments. I I go back to it. But to, to, but to be honest, Sarah, once it happens, um, and I always tell this to people, it's like you gotta like once you get that, uh, once they tell you that, you give yourself twenty four hours to feel bad. But then you know, what's the treatment? What do I got to do? But yeah, when you, when you first hear that, it's like the worst feeling in the world. Yeah, for sure. Everyone always thinks the Spanish Inquisition is supposed to be light and fun, but it's just whatever answer comes to mind. Whenever I get to the most scared, people are like, well, I have one, but I don't want to say it. So I'll just go with, uh, you know, I almost lost a game of dominoes for $10. I was like, no, (laughs) it's not what I'm looking for. Um, Exactly. Number five, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Embarrassed I've ever been. You know, here's why we remember certain things. I mean, I can't tell you a lot from my childhood, but I remember in grade school. So, I mean, this is like even, uh, I mean, this is not, not even first grade. It's like kindergarten. But I needed to use the restroom. The teacher for, I don't even know who they are today, you know, where where they are in life, but would not let me go to the bathroom. And I'm like, but I got to go, I got to go. And then, listen, when you got to go, you got to go, right? And so I went. Oh, no. And um, wearing jeans. Oh, no. And then realized, like, this is a, an issue. So I go to the nurse's office, and they didn't have a dryer, so they hung the jeans oh. from, like, So you're the just window. sitting in your drawers? And I'm like, it, it was the worst uh, feeling in the world. I did stay at that school, but <laughs> I really wished that I didn't have to stay Did at you, that uh, around what age was this? It was, I think it was kindergarten, but it, I mean, I don't think it was first grade, but let's say kindergarten, first grade range. I mean, I was definitely young, but it was like, are you kidding me? I can't yeah. go to the bathroom. Yeah. Like, who would tell a child they can't go to the bathroom? It's ridiculous. Okay, one more follow up. Did you acquire any nicknames as a result of this? No, mm, I mean, and, I, and maybe I blocked it out, but man, that's a tough one, right? P. Rosh, Mark Exactly. <laughs> By the way, tough name growing up in the United States. Like, my parents probably didn't think that they were going to stay here, but Arash, which is A-Rash or Arash right. or whatever. Like, that is, that, that, that's, that's a, and that then is, I, are, I don't even know if it's Markazi or Markazi. It's both ways. It's, <laughs> it's I whatever. Don't even know myself. You're like, as long yeah. as somebody's close. Whatever works. <laughs> Were you ever tempted to just go by A? 
or, you know, just like some. You know what? I have thought of that, but then I was like, you know what? Why? Just let's, let's, let's keep the name. Be an original. It's, it's, it's unique. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, number six, what would you consider your biggest failure? Biggest failure. Oh, man. That's a, that's a good one. Um, listen, I, I um, you know, and this is, again, this is like a confessional. Like, so for someone to have gone through cancer twice, like, I am really disappointed in my ability to take care of myself in terms of mm. being a being a healthy individual. And I'm, um, you know, I feel like I'm like laying on a couch, Sarah, you know, giving you like I'm not holding anything back, really disappointed in myself. And so maybe, you know, now I, if, I, if I get off the phone with you, maybe I'll, I'll do something about it. But listen, it's, it's you know, I, sometimes I, I, I think, um, you know, like this is not. I should take better care of myself. And so that's a good thing to notice though. Like, is that, do you think that's your schedule? Because I know it's a, it's tough. It's an excuse traveling. Though. It I, is. I, you're I, right. I agree. Cause you don't have to eat yeah. cheeseburgers everywhere and drink a ton. You 100%. can make better there choices, but it's, so, it's easier to make better choices when you have a better schedule. Exactly. So it's a failure that I can reverse, but I got to tell you, it's been going on. You know, um, I was not the weight that I am when, I got cancer the second time. I think what happened, well, I mean, you know, I'm kind of go, but you know, you, you're in the hospital for like a month and you, and you gain some weight and I never quite reversed. I just like, you know, yeah. this is the way I am. And so, um, none, it's not too late, but what I'm telling you, it is a failure on my part to not take good care of myself. Yeah. That's very honest of you. You know, accountability yeah. is the easiest way to like fight your way out of that. So you should find uh, some people that you have to be accountable for. That you check in yes. with when you're when you eat well or poorly or work out or whatever, and at, at least yeah. uh, can get you on the right path. We have a workout challenge. A couple friends and I where we have to work out four times like a week it. and take a selfie and put it in a private Facebook group. And if we don't go four times, if we miss a week, we have to donate money to our least favorite politician and post it on Facebook. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> That'll get you I moving, Arash. It'll really get you moving. Um, <laughs> I got I I I this group, yeah. I <laughs> uh, Number seven, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Um, I am really motivated when I, when, I, when, I, when I want something, which kind of goes back to like the last question. I yeah. got to get motivated. But no, like, you know, um, when I find myself wanting to do something, you know, I'll make a list and I'll be like, you know, how do I get this done? Like, who do I need to call? And so it's a trait that, you know, going back to what we talked about before, you know, like if there's someone that I want to talk to, like, I'm not afraid to send them like a note. And if they don't call me back or if they don't respond, that's fine. But I'm going to do what I can to be like, you know, listen, I respect what you do. How can I improve? I've always tried to get advice from people that, that I respect in the, the industry. And so, um, yeah, it's cliche to say um, hard work, but not just hard work. It's just, you know, getting advice from as many people as I can and just really being like, here's what I want to do. How do I go about it? Yeah. Number eight, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Mm. Yeah, I mean, b besides the health part, it's like just being more confident sometimes, you know, because I think maybe they go hand in hand, but, you know, the confidence of uh, – of just putting yourself out there, you know? And so, um, you know, but yeah, that, that, that's something that I would like to, you know, work wise, I'm happy personal wise in terms of, you know, making certain 
decisions, I would be like, yeah, listen, kind of that same motivation that you have to work, carry that to your personal Personal life life. as well. Yeah. Which is also affected by all the traveling, but I won't get into it anymore, Dr. Sarah. (laughs) Uh, Finally, number nine, what three words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Um. I like them or uh, I don't know. Like I, I, I probably care too much about people, you know, if, uh, you know, whether they like me or, or not, but um, yeah. Like, you know, if my name comes up that they have good thoughts, that it's not that he's like, uh, that he's like not a good guy. You know, I, I, I hope that they think I'm a good guy. So it's a lot more than three words, know. but I'll take it. Uh, and finally, I, I like him. <laughs> I, I like him. I like him. I'm good I enough. Like, I'm like smart him. enough. Right? Doggone it. People like me. Uh, finally, the bonus Gosh, question. People like me. Yeah. Uh, who would you recommend that I have as a guest right here on this podcast? This is out of the box. And he'll appreciate that I'm telling you this because I think he's an interesting cat, this man. Uh, Jacob Wolf covers uh, League of Legends and a lot of stuff for us. Hmm. I don't think he's legally able to drink, but he is on staff <laughs> at ESPN and he covers esports. He is our uh, Madam Schefter of esports and he's not even of age to drink. I think it's fascinating. I tell him all the time. He just moved to New York, so um, he's excited about that. Mm. But um, That's a good one, too, because I'm very get off my lawn about esports. I'm trying not to be. Like, I'm fighting all my natural urges because I understand it's the wave of the future and blah, blah, blah. But, like, the all, all parts of me are like, no, kids, go outside and run. I know. Um, so that would be good I, for I me to talk to him. I to give you a name him. that's totally outside the yeah. box. And that, that's one right there. Yeah, That is a great suggestion. Hey, I love talking to you, Arash. You're the best. You're the best. Thanks so much, Sarah. See ya. Oh, and another thing. So this week's That's What She Read uh, is actually interesting. Uh, I could have picked any number of stories about this topic, but the favorite one I found was from uh, Philly.com, The Inquirer. And uh, the headline is, Sports Writers Mock Fox and Friends Over Error-Filled Segment on ESPN's Jamel Hill. Uh, the reason I like this one is because it accurately points out that, yes, this segment on Fox and Friends discussing that our own Jamel Hill won the Journalist of the Year Award from the National Association of Black Journalists. Uh, was full of errors and also uh, poorly constructed and full of arguments without any weight. But not only that, it also has a selection of great tweets from a variety of sports media members pointing out just what a terrible segment it was. Uh, my favorite, I think, was my old co-host Jane McManus saying of the segment, it's got everything, shade, misdirection, ignorance of the facts, a complete misunderstanding of the difference between journalism, entertainment, and pictures of Jamel. Um, they also had to, uh, announce a retraction later in the day saying on the show this morning, a guest stated Jamel Hill was unemployed. Correction. Hill is currently employed by ESPN, which everybody but that show already knew. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because if you've listened to my podcast, you know that I call Jamel my fairy career mother. And she is the person who is the reason that I started doing TV on ESPN. She spotted me at ESPNW. Uh, conference on stage and said, how come you are not doing TV? And I said, well, I haven't done any really. So, you know, they're not really, they're a little worried about giving me TV gigs when I haven't been on much. And she said, all right, next time I'm off on my show, you're co-hosting. And I said, okay, whatever. And then about a month later, she called, she said, all right, I'm, I'm off. You're going to come co-host his and hers. And that was it. Then I did Oberman and then I did Sports Center and Outside the Lines. And, uh, and she's just 
such a real, real amazing person. And I'm so proud of her for winning the award. And when I found out that she's been a member of NABJ since she was 16, okay, Doogie Howser, uh, I was like much, much deserved and earned. And the fact that anybody out there is trying to say she doesn't deserve it, the only thing that they have to serve them is a bunch of poorly constructed arguments filled with errors, lacking any facts. And that's what happened. So congrats to Jamel. And thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me.